You're listening to Citizen Reporter number 437 for the 28th of November 2012, high above the streets of Cairo, part of the Arab Artists in a Revolution series. Hello everyone, it's Mark, and I'm here on a garden terrace in Zamalek in Cairo, and it's probably the first recording I do outdoors, because there is something about Cairo and outdoors that it just bombards you with sounds and maybe smells, but here on the garden, I found it to be the right setting to sit down with a new friend and someone who I find is doing important and significant work here in Egypt, so let's Instead of talking about her, let's talk to her, uh, Jenny Montasser. Jenny, um, you and I met uh, online, as many people do in the world of activism and media production in Egypt and, and beyond. And I was immediately told about your work in, in terms of documentaries, but I was also told that you're someone who was born and raised in the U.S. and you came back to Egypt around the time of the revolution. I think people have heard here and there stories like this, maybe even you before you came heard stories about people that were going. I want to ask a bit about your life and then we'll talk of course about the work and the topics that are I think a lot of people need or should hear about. So first it's you. Um, before you lived in Egypt, what were you up to and sort of what was going on that led you back here? Um, well, I had been working pretty steadily for a few years and had always talked about coming to Egypt. I had never been here before. And I actually had a break from work at the end of 2010. I didn't have any anything scheduled. And I saw the month free and I said, I'm going to Egypt. So I was here for three weeks in December of 2010. And then in January of 2011 is when the revolution happened. And this is the first time seeing, um, seeing the country, meeting a lot of my family, and uh, then to go back home and see the revolution uh, happening, it was uh, pretty impressive because I had just been here for the first time. When you came for the first time, and I guess it even stretches to before you came, what, what did you think, and to some extent, what did you know about Egypt when it comes to freedoms and, and even politics to some extent? I mean, it sounds like that wasn't your original reason for coming here. It was more about your life, your family. What, what was on your mind? Was there anything on your mind when it comes to the world of politics and society? Well, to be honest, I didn't know anything at all. And um, my father growing up was really, really quiet about his life here. And uh, I actually came here just like with a like a blank notebook and I wanted to fill it and so I didn't look into anything before I came here and I didn't follow Egyptian politics at all and I didn't know anything about my family even before I came so everything was brand new when I got here and then when I got here you know especially meeting with my dad's brothers and sisters they all like they always said 
Egypt used to be this way, look at it now, look how, the, try to imagine this neighborhood, it used to be this way and the corruption and the crowding and the infrastructure and everything has fallen. And to me, it's like, well, I can't imagine because this is the first time that I'm seeing it. But of course, I was seeing the, the significant problems here that one month later, people were shouting about in the square that there's, there's um, so much corruption um, in the authority and there's so much uh, poverty and there's no justice for, for anyone. So these things I, I saw with my own eyes, uh, but briefly before, before January. And back in the U.S., you were well busy with documentary work and film work in general back in New York. I know when you got here, I mean, you came to see family, you came to fill the, the notebook. Were you thinking, film? I need to film? Or is that something that comes more with January 2011? Um, I had a small camera with me and I was filming. I actually have an interesting clip uh, where I'm in, t in Tahrir and uh, my uncle says to me, do you know what Tahrir means? It means liberty. And to think back now, and it looked very different then. It had advertisements and billboards and just traffic and just normal place. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool, you know. <laughs> just It's just a square, you know. Um, so I had thought of a film. I thought of filming something to show my dad what Egypt looked like because everyone had told me it changed so much. He had left in 1969 and he never came back. So I had thought of doing sort of a personal film. I had thought about it. I had thought about doing a personal film to show to my dad to say this is what Egypt is like now. And uh, But that's it. Uh, something small. I never imagined that I would be coming back to make such a heavy, heavy, on heavy topic, which was the revolution and then more, the, the post-revolution periods. Yeah, so you come back January 2011 and... March, actually. Oh, March, mm -hmm. oh, right, because you were home watching the revolution, yeah. even though you had just been here. When you come back, you started working on a documentary, and it was about the revolution. I mean, talk about that a little bit. What did I start work working on in March? Well, I just immediately started interviewing people. Um, you know, when I was watching the revolution on, on, on TV, as, as we all were around the world, um, especially since I had just been here, I felt like I wasn't getting the whole story. Sort of the people that they kept referring to to talk about it were the same people. Of course, I'm watching it in English. I'm not watching it in Arabic, but it seemed very narrow, the people that they were talking to. So you see millions of people in the square, and then you see 15 people, like n not just 15 people, but the same type, activists and, and analysts and things like this. And I just kept thinking, well, what is it like for just a regular person? Um, so when I came back, I started interviewing people, and uh, this is sort of how I, I came to the person that I decided to follow uh, for the rest of the year. And I, I was also worried, you know, this was 18-day revolution, they brought Mubarak down, but what happens after that? This is a huge question, and that was really my whole premise was, I want to know what's going to happen after, and I want to be there after, and I want to film it. Uh, so other people filmed the 18 days and they did a great job and, and, and I wasn't here at all. So my, what I filmed started af in the period after. A question that I asked myself being here and trying to speak with different voices, trying to add something unique or, or useful to the world. How did you choose who you were going to talk to back then? Well, this is the funny thing is I probably interviewed 12 people. Um, 
And the first 11, I interviewed them in English. They spoke English, and it was very easy. And they were all um, professionals or activists or, uh, you know, a nice range of, of individuals. But um, then I met Reda. And when I made the appointment uh, to, to meet with her, um, the, the woman who I arranged it with told me, you need to bring a translator because she doesn't speak English. And I met her the day of the constitutional referendum voting. And she immediately said, why don't you come film me voting? And, you know, you know it wasn't like... She, she was also one of the few people that, once I interviewed them, then invited me to do something else. So some people, I just invited them. They, uh, I, I interviewed them, and they told me their experience during the revolution. And then sometimes they would mention something they were working on, and I would say, can I come film that? And half the time, they'd say no. So that's sort of where it ends. Okay, thank you for your time, and, and move on. But uh, she, I, I filmed her voting that day. Um, I think two days later, she, we were in Tahrir and she was showing me around. By the following weekend, I was in Alexandria with her, with her family, staying there for four or five days. Um, and so it just happened this way. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how. It, but, but I really liked her story as well. So these, these things all happened. Seven, I'd only been here seven days when I met her. And they all just started happening like this. But, and I continued filming with some other people, but then I just realized like her story was the one I was looking for. She's, um, she's just a, a regular person. And she was really touched by the revolution. She participated. She had no, like me, she had no knowledge of uh, politics. And like so many people, she was, um, didn't care because everything was so corrupt during Mubarak's time. And um, she was so inspired inspired by the revolution and she went down to the square and she was still interested in what was going on in the day of the referendum. She was passing out flyers to people, um, you know, trying to explain to them what they were voting on. And so she, she was what I was looking for. And it just, it happened very easily yeah. at first. <laughs> it sounds like somebody that's sort of between, yeah, absolute regular person who maybe doesn't want to get involved in politics or whatever. And at the same time, she's got a bit of an activist in her when I listen to the flyering and the watch me vote, you know. Right. You know, she did. She did. Today? No. no. That's, that's the sad thing, I think, today. But back then, um, she was full of fire. And, you know, everyone, everyone was talking about the revolution. It's, it was on the internet, and, and it's... Um, of course it wasn't for her. And everything was things that she heard on the street and the things she knew. She knew that her brothers and Alex had been um, beaten by the police and were treated horribly. And she knew, she, like, you don't have to tell her about the injustice that everyone is talking about on the internet or on the news. Like, that was her life, right? And she knew that um, her family, like, she knew she didn't have the chance to go to school when she was younger and that that wasn't fair, that she started working when she was 12. Um, you know, she even says, like, she thinks her family had too many kids, you know, she, she knows all of these things, and it was her chance to, to fight back against it, um, and then, and then until we reach until today. But yes, then she, she was full of such a, a, a drive and a spirit and, and everything that the, the revolution, how it changed people back then, yes, that was, was her when she had nothing to do with sort of the activism that started it, she, she joined in and she really embraced it and, and it really changed her life. All right, and keeping on the topic of stuff you're working on in the context of Egypt, one issue that 
I know people want to hear about, I myself being in this country want to know more about, is women, the situation of women, the rights of women, and not even so much in the legal sense, but in the everyday sense, which is surely connected. I saw a short piece, I think, of a documentary from you on domestic abuse, which is a topic, you know, I think for a lot of us growing up, I always saw domestic abuse discussions or public service announcements. It was something we learned about in school, even, health class. But, you know, here we are in Egypt. It's a, it's a whole other world, obviously. You had these fantastic images from the revolution that I hit me, actually, and I'm pretty numb to a lot of things, but um, of women chanting in the square about standing up, holding their heads up. I guess, I guess we'll get to that, but I, I loved it. Um, and I didn't just love it, like, and maybe want to know more, of course. So let's get into domestic abuse. I mean, here you are in, in Cairo. How did, how did you, did you stumble upon it? How did you get into this issue? And then to actually make films or film about it. Well, I fell into it directly because um, my documentary subject was facing this issue. And of course, I never witnessed anything as it was happening, but I realized uh, she was asking for a divorce, and the main reason was she didn't want to be in the abusive relationship with her husband anymore. And at first, she didn't share this with me, of, of course, and it just came out little by little. And um, I spoke with members of her family, and I spoke with her children, and they told me straight, straight forward, yeah. This guy beats her, he beats the kids, and um, you know, he's horrible, but yeah, this is happening so much in Egypt, it's, it's not unusual. So um, just for my own, uh, just to get background on the issue, I went to two different women's organizations to do interviews, and not even, okay, this will be part of the film, but I really needed to understand better what was happening. And so I made these two interviews uh, over the past six months. And of course, the, both women were brilliant. One is uh, working in just women's rights, and the other is actually working with women who, who come in who have experienced uh, violence and are seeking help, which is rare. Most women don't seek help. Um, so probably like two months ago, I was with Reda, and she has since uh, divorced from her husband, and, and he took the kids from her. And at the time, he wasn't allowing her to see her children, so she was sort of sneaking to see them. And uh, her oldest daughter wanted to see me, so we were in a, a friend's house, and her daughter comes in, and she's, she's crying because her dad has just beaten her. And you can't imagine how I felt in this moment. I felt like, what can I do? I, I want to kill this guy. Like, how can he lay his hands on a 16-year-old girl? How can he lay his hands on anyone? But, I mean, he was abusing Reda, now he's abusing the children, and he gets to keep them, and there's nothing you can do. I mean, domestic violence is not, uh, it's not the crime here. There's no one to call. And um, so taking these these two interviews and and making them into into a short movie and releasing it was just what the only thing I felt I could do because in the situation I felt powerless there's nothing there's nothing I could do 
accepts try to get this information out and you know they're trying to make it a crime they're trying to make a domestic violence a crime and they're struggling because um, everything is is so chaotic right now that even the people who are trying to to get signatures to make it a crime are having people tell them like yeah forget it it's not a priority okay in the meantime you're seeing hospitals trauma centers are seeing uh, the injuries and and uh, I mean if you look at the statistics of domestic violence it's it's astonishing and so this, this was my answer to, was to make this short video. And, and I use this footage from the protests because for me this, it's like, remember when you were shouting for your rights and don't ever forget it because, because you know that, that this is something that you should have. And, and this is why this footage was, is, in the, is in this piece. When you, when you say remember, I think about a question that I have a lot walking around. Now, unfortunately for, for the experience, I spend my time in what I think are slightly upscale areas of this city, including business centers to do these interviews. So I don't know what's going on in the regular streets. I think it's hard for some of us to, to reach. I don't know how hard it is for you, but it makes me wonder if compared to two years ago, since you know people taking to the streets, are more women walking with their heads held high, demanding more? I mean, I've heard about uh, a friend, actually, who's training people to deal with street harassment, and they're talking about reinstating the whistle, which apparently somewhere in Egyptian history was used when there was a crime. I don't know if it was women specifically, but they're talking about maybe having a whistle that you can blow if you get harassed on the street. Is there an, an increase? I would hope that there would be, after such a huge moment that now there would be all kinds of women's organizations more than there were in the past pushing for more I don't know if you can possibly speak to that topic but do you feel it at all that there's an increase like that I feel it but I feel that they're also up against uh, more challenges or, or, or I'm not sure maybe it's not more challenges but it's like you're finally asking for your rights in, in, in a strong way and in a structured way so then in a strong and structured way, you're told no. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there's more awareness now and there's more campaigns and there's more, like you, you can't discount this and it's, it's, it's fantastic, but, but really, I mean, you're talking about cult cultural change as well. It's not just things like getting a law passed, but it's, it's really, the cultural change. If you if you if you talk to 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 men and you tell them, you know, domestic what is domestic violence? I, I can hit my wife. It's okay. Okay. Well, then you are, that's where the problem starts. The law doesn't do anything if uh, and and if a woman's not going to call uh, if she's abused because she thinks that she deserves it, then what can change? Is there any difference with what young guys? I mean, I'm going to bring this up more often. I'm hanging out working with some some younger guys in their 20s. Do they know a difference? Do they have they learned, or have they learned the same? Well, I I would honestly I don't, I don't know, but I feel like you learn from from your parents and you learn what's from what's really around you and so so it can go it can go either way, right? But awareness is is a huge thing. So 
we can hope that these sort of campaigns will reach people and something will change. I'm curious about, what do you call that, cultural control? Like when you walk down the street and the pressure from other people. I hear these stories of street harassment where women will get not just things said to them or sounds made at them, which happens in the West as well, but touched, groped, uh, cornered. It's, it's amazing how far it goes. Um, and I always assume that somewhere in there, when, when moments like this happen, that there would be a pocket of maybe older, wiser people who would say, hey, what are you doing? And come to the rescue. We don't have that in Cairo. No, uh, well, actually, I don't think you have that uh, around the world. I mean, especially when something sort of passes a certain point, okay? Like a guy says something, but when it gets into like something physical, it's it's pretty natural that people don't help you and people don't react. Uh, it's risky, like their own well-being. Uh, I mean, I've been assaulted before and nobody did anything. Yeah, they're they're worried or they're they're really shocked that it happened. Um, actually, I wasn't assaulted here, uh, somewhere else, but. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know, and it and it's it also comes from the side of, of of if you accept it from your end. I mean, I was with Reda and her children, and some guys were harassing her her teenage daughters in front of her and her little son, who's seven. Okay, that to me, I'd never seen that before in my life. Like I'd never seen teenage guys. It, it they, they were never so bold as to do it in front of the person's mother or like a little boy. And when I saw that, I was wow, this is really, really goes too far. I mean, how? How did that go over? It just... Well, this was the thing is, is I I started to, you know, get really good posture and say, you know, Isaiah, like, what do you want? And, And her daughters were pulling me back. You know, don't do that. Don't don't say anything. And you know, to be honest, they were right because the the guy that I confronted ended up following us through the park, and which is scary. Why is this? It was a really tall guy. Why is he following us? And we're just you know three three two adults and two teenagers and a little boy. So I I kind of realized maybe they were right and I shouldn't have said anything, which is terrible. Yeah. So how did I mean? How to break it? I mean, I guess you've mentioned awareness and, and talking about it, and it seems like some people are coming up with some strategies to try to use. I want to believe people aren't giving up on this topic. No, they're not. They're not. But um, it's tough, really. Yeah. Hmm. Tell me this. Okay, so I had a, an Egyptian. Uh, guy uh, on the topic of sexual harassment he said listen I'll tell you what the problem is this is the problem is that in our culture you can't have sex outside of a of marriage you can't have a relationship outside of marriage so all the guys walking around here are repressed and they're just getting out their frustrations by harassing girls so to him unless you can change that 
you can't change anything. And I told him, this is ridiculous, okay? I would rather work on campaigns and try to teach, maybe you have to start with the younger ones to teach them about respect, about uh, treating women with respect. I think this will happen before we could convince uh, people in Egypt to change the culture that, uh, yes, you should be free to have a sexual relations outside of marriage. I'm sorry, but I think that battle is, is the more difficult one. So let's uh, stick with what uh, maybe could be possible, and that's to, to work on education and awareness. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic excuse. Like, yes. we would have been good, but look at our circumstances, you know, poor us. Hmm. It's odd, too, because, again, my limited experience is probably the problem. But women in Egypt, on, well, in Cairo, seem tough as nails. <laughs> like, like, if I needed help, <laughs> they would yell at whoever was in my way or... I guess that's part of what's so odd about the situation, you know, because it seems like a group of women, a culture of women that are strong, and yet on this topic, they can't get around this, this sort of wall. Well, I mean, the culture has to change in a, in a broader sense as well. Like, women have to know that they, can't, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve to be treated that way. Um, you have to change things like... You know, there are women who think, well, you shouldn't have been wearing that. I mean, these are conversations you have all over the world, right? So, yeah, the women are tough as nails, but think of the women who say, like, I deserve to be beaten by my husband because I didn't have lunch ready on time. Okay, you have to change him and you have to change her. You can't just start from one side. You have to let her know, like, no, you have rights and, and you don't deserve that. You don't deserve to be treated that way. So you can say the same thing about sexual harassment. You've told me off mic and maybe not on mic about um, actually how women treat each other, which also made me sad. Um, and that is women harassing women. I mean, I've heard stories about on the Metro and this now famous story about a girl getting her hair cut, a 16 year old girl getting her hair cut. Tell me a little bit about this whole thing, like women harassing women in Egypt. What? Um, I, had actually, I had never heard a story like that before. Um, and I don't know who did that or why they would do that. That, that whole situation seemed odd to me. And, and honestly, I don't feel that I could speak to that as I am someone coming from the outside. But I mean, in general, I feel that women here are all the, all the time, you're, you're being looked at and being criticized for what you do. And it doesn't matter what you do. You'll be wrong no matter what you do. So uh, you, you can't really win, actually. So um, I, uh, the only thing I can speak to is, is being a foreigner and how sometimes people treat me in a bad way because of, because of being from, from the outside. But uh, uh, this is a, a bit different, I think. <laughs> but still bad, it's, it's still not nice. No, yeah. Let's go back to you, the person, Jenny. <laughs> You're here now. Uh what are we at, over a year? And you've sort of got your home here. <laughs> and one of the questions I think a lot of people have, maybe even for themselves who've come here, new day, you know, I don't know if you ever watched The Wire, but the new mayor gets elected. It's a new day, that was a whole episode. I love that episode. <laughs> and so, you know, we've got our new day in, in Cairo and in Egypt, but reality sets in and it's not exactly a new day or it's, there's ups and downs. You're staying. Long term. Mm. <laughs> and you want to know why? The answer is yes, right? 
Yes, for now, yes. Uh, I'm not finished with the, what I'm working on and I'll tell you, a few nights ago I, I had a dream that I was in my parents' house in the US and I was crying hysterically saying I'll never go back to Egypt again. And, and it was the truth in that situation. They were saying, I'm sorry, you will never go there again. And I was crying so much. And I woke up and I what the hell was that? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Um, because I haven't left. I haven't taken a break. Um, I'm so tired. Yeah. But, um, but I, I'm here. And I don't know. It's... Uh, I feel like what I'm working on is important and it's it's n not time to take a break from it and I need to keep going until it's finished which it, it will take a bit of time still but then after that I'm not sure you know then you think about the bigger questions of your life you know is this where you'd want to settle and stay and it's it's that's not clear but for now I'm I'm here I, I get caught up a little bit I guess a lot of people would in the the great stories of Egyptians and uh, second generation, first, well, which generation? Generations of immigrants that would come back to Egypt saying, I want to be part of that. I think that's been, you know, a little bit sold in the media, but I'm, I'm sold on that story. You know, I like it. Um, it's a curious thing, like, what would be the power of, of Egyptians who would come back if they, if they came together and brought all the things they've learned out there, the good things, hopefully, and brought them back here? I don't know. Yeah. One day we'll hear from these people, I guess, you know, and you'll all write a book. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, yeah, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not an easy choice. Like, the choice seemed easy, though. But then after, when you start to think long term, it's when the harder questions come up. But for now, anyone I meet who, who did the same thing that I did, you know, we're here and we're staying. And, and if, you, if you were leaving, you would have already left by now, right? <laughs> And most of us who leave only leave like to go visit family or because we left something hanging back home that we have to go take care of. Uh, and, and that's it. But um, yeah, everyone, I mean, there's so many people working really hard still. And, you know, we all went through our, the hard times and the depression of this past year. But uh, I think in the end, you know, I think we'll all be happy that we, that we stayed and maybe had something to offer. I'm not sure. I hope so. I'll tell you something I worry about, and I want to know if I should be worried or what you think. For the work I'm doing now, but also for other people's work, I watch social media, watch Facebook. I'm worried that, not just in Egypt, but that's, let's make that the first one, the first topic on this one, that we are too focused on the moment and making the moment an amazing memorable moment and you know holding it up and saying look at this fantastic moment and in the meantime we're missing the important work that we need to do we're too busy looking at ourselves I have that you know sometimes I don't want to spend time looking at anything I've done I don't want to spend too much time patting anyone on the back because there's work to be done I worry a lot even now since I've been here for for a week <laughs> I worry that there's a lot of energy spent on you know what, it makes me think of religion a little bit, you know, like, I believe in that moment, and it was a great moment, therefore it must be good. <laughs> um, I'm worried, you know. Well, everyone in Egypt should be worried, because things aren't getting better, and 
things aren't changing and that's that's what everyone needs to be paying attention to now and everything else doesn't matter uh, I'm really worried about the young people here and yeah so so talking about the superficial stuff it doesn't it doesn't matter like nothing has changed and um, and yet something changed <laughs> yeah yeah something has changed you know actually this whole year I, I mean I was trying to think what happened to me this year I questioned God I questioned love I questioned my faith in humanity and other people uh, but in the end I'll you know okay Am I going to do something or not? Uh, will anything change here or not? Yeah, you have to look at, at, at the more important, uh, wider picture. And you have to keep going. That's the, the, at the end of the day. That sounds good, Jenny. <laughs> well, thanks for sitting with me for a little while. And um, I look forward to more of our conversations on and off mic. And good luck with the documentary. I know I will be linking to it uh, when the time comes and talking about your work for a very long time. In the meantime, there is Trigger Happy Films. That's your... Uh, Trigger Happy Media. Trigger Happy Media. I will... There is Trigger Happy Media, and I will be linking to that so people can click and follow your, your writing, because I do, from what I've read, I like when you write. Um, so there's that as well. Anything else I'd be, I should be telling people? No, that's really enough, but thank you. Thank you. It's nice speaking with you. Once again, you've been listening to Citizen Reporter, and a big thanks to Jenny Montasser for coming over and talking about her project here in Cairo. The journey continues. In a few days, we'll be heading from Cairo to Beirut, where once again we'll be speaking with different kinds of artists, different kinds of creative minds. It has been a wonderful journey. And I'm so glad to be able to share it with you both here on Citizen Reporter and also on Radio Open Source. Go to radioopensource.org and you can listen to more interviews, more conversations that I have helped record and sometimes been involved in with my voice, other times involved in through my editing skills. I'm happy to know that you guys are out there listening, learning along with us, and I hope, above all, enjoying. That's it from Cairo, the noisy, dusty streets. I will catch you again very soon. Goodbye. See ya. See ya.